All right. Well, this morning we are going to be kicking off a new series. Uh, Sandy, I lost con- con- connection with the computer, so if you'll just fire it when I mention it. Um, last week I was gone. Who noticed Pastor Brent was not here? Okay, good. Uh, that makes me feel good. That not even my staff was like, was he here? It could have been. That felt good. Well, I wasn't here, everyone. But uh, and, this, <laughs> and this Sunday, you might notice Pastor Ty is missing. And next Sunday, everybody's going to be like, Pastor Ty, we missed you. Where were you? Well, uh, last week, I got away with my family. We got to go to Florida. Um, and we, we ju- were just trying to escape some of this Oregon humidity and heat. So we, we thought, let's go to Florida. So uh, we had a great time, and while we were there, we, uh, the first day we were there, I took the boys to the swimming pool that was at the complex we were staying at, and right on behind the patio, literally feet behind the patio, this guy was sitting right outside taking a sunbathing uh, adventure, so I took a picture of him. Um, so uh, I, I, I escorted my kids to the swimming pool, and then I just walked away. But uh, it's just a part of the habitat there. They are so nonchalant about, about alligators. This one was fairly small. He was under four feet, I would say. But uh, we went on an airboat ride and got to look at alligators, and they just live side by side with them like they're, like, like they're raccoons or something. They kind of shoo them out of the way. They're like, they, you don't bother them, they won't bother you. They go boating with them. It's, it's bizarre. They're weird people in Florida, I tell you. But uh, um, it, we, had, we had a great time, um, and uh, we watched Sunday's live stream while we were gone, and I just want to say, wow, Pastor Charity did a fantastic job. Um, I, I, t- I told her, I, I talked to her this week, I said, Charity, you have my full confidence. Anytime you speak, you, you speak with authority and you spoke the word. And uh, uh, she, that was just a powerful word on obedience. I'm going to tell you that when she told that illustration about the train and her, was it her brother or cousin that was on the tracks? I was like, she can't tell a story that ends horribly, right? I was, get, I was getting really nervous listening to her story. But uh, it was a, just a great message. But uh, this morning, we are setting out on a new five-week series that we've entitled The Road to Easter. The Road to Easter. We are just five weeks away from Easter Sunday. And so we're going to be looking at the last week of Jesus' ministry and uh, before his death and his resurrection. We know that, of course, after his resurrection, he was uh, seen for 40 days after that. But, but not much is written about that. But we are, we are going to look at this final week before his death and resurrection. And it's a week that's known uh, through different traditions and, um, as, as Passion Week or Holy Week. And while this week accounts for a relatively short amount of Jesus' life, he lived for 33 years, three of those years doing ministry, one week accounts for a very small portion, but it actually takes up a very large portion of the Gospels. As a matter of fact, this one, week of worth, one week's worth of time takes up about 40% of the book of Mark, is about this last week of Jesus' life. It's a very compressed amount of time that goes on here about, about all the things that happen. So we aren't going to talk about everything. And neither are we going to talk about it necessarily in chronological order. Um, because if we were doing chronological order, uh, the first thing that he did was have the triumphal entry, right? That happens on Palm Sunday. I'd like to preach about that on Palm Sunday. So um, we're not going to do it in exactly chronological order. And in the same way, uh, the gospel authors didn't necessarily put a high amount of value into chronology. Um, if you look at actually ancient, ancient texts, not just counting scriptural texts, but, but um, if you look at... Uh, 
Secular texts as well and biographies, very little emphasis is put on the importance of things happening in a chronological order. Rather, it's about getting across the point that they're trying to make. It's about telling the story, telling things that actually connect um, with with the the drive of the story. So um, that's the reason that often you can see some variation from gospel to gospel in terms of events is because they're trying to get across a greater point than the order of things happening. And so it's not that you can say, well, I can trust one gospel less than another or anything like that, but really... Just chronology was not a priority with the author's goals. So, as a matter, so one of the stories we're telling today, um, we're going to be talking about in Mark's gospel, takes place before Jesus clears the temple, and in Matthew's gospel, it takes place after Jesus clears the temple. So, it's really um, it's something that happens in that final week, but it's not vital that we get it in the right order. Is everybody with me on that? Oh, we're going to go deep here today. You've got to be with me. Sit on the edge of your seat if you're getting sleepy. I saw a meme, I saw a meme of uh, someone posted that said, uh, me trying to attend the first service at church. And it was like this animal that just kept nodding off trying to stay awake. Sit on the edge of your chair if you need to. Stay with me. We are going to get into it. So turn with me, if you can, to the book of Matthew chapter 21. Melissa mentioned we're on the Bible app. If you go to the app store, it's the very first app that comes up if you look up Bible. And if you click on events, you'll see us there. Or you could have gone to that QR code, but it's too late now. It's gone. You've lost the moment. So just um, follow with us if you can. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, starting in verse 18. It says this, In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. And then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately... The fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and be thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. So, This section of scripture, perhaps you have more spiritual depth than I do, but I have (laughs) struggled with this section of scripture. Like, what's the meaning here? It seems like Jesus just has a really bad grudge against this poor fruit tree, and then he smites it. He's like, ah, die. And it dies. Um, I imagine that when I read this, Jesus is just having a really rough day, and it's just kind of like, it had been a long weekend, right? He had had a, a parade thrown in his honor. That's a big deal. Then he went to the temple. He didn't really like the things going on in his, in, in his father's house, so he kind of had a situation there. And so the next morning, he's, he's hangry, it says. He was hungry, right? He's, he's hangry. He's, he's, he's got a pit in his tummy. He wants, he wants a, a fig parfait. And he goes up to the tree, and there's nothing there. And so he must have just been like, that's it! Die! And smites it. That's the way I kind of have been like, is that what's going on? Is it, are we seeing Jesus' humanity? Just kind of this, he's on kind of a hair trigger and that really frustrated him. The disciples, so he, he, the disciples see this happen and the tree dies right in front of him and they're like, whoa, how did he do that? And then Jesus goes into this, this little section. He closes it out by explaining to them, if you have faith, anything you believe can, can happen. You can tell this mountain to be thrown into the sea, and it will. It's just about faith. And so, um, but, but I would say, did Jesus kill a tree just so he could illustrate to the disciples the power of God and what faith can do? 
Because for three years, Jesus had been traveling around, healing blind people, making lame people walk, raising dead people, casting out demons, calming storms with just a word from his mouth, walking on top of water. I would say killing a tree wouldn't necessarily have made the top 10. He's like, you want to do that? I'll tell you how. I wouldn't say killing a tree was in his, his, his best, best uh, uh, works, but... but and, and also, I'd say, if you wanted to give a statement on, on, you know, faith and things like that, why not do something a little more productive? Why not make it produce fruit right there in that moment? By the word of his mouth, fruit comes out. Like, why, why not do that? That would be more practical, too. He was hungry. But uh, there was significance to what Jesus did here. It was not that he was on the edge of control and just killing things with the word of his mouth. There was actually imagery Jesus is using here for the disciples' sake. So right now, I want everyone to take out your botanist hat with me. Everybody have your botanist hat? So far, I'm the only one holding a botanist hat right now. Okay. Those are some nice botanist hats. I don't even know what a botanist hat... We're going to put it on right now. We got our botanist hat on. So... Fig trees were one of the most ancient fruit trees that we have record of, scripture or otherwise. Going back through through um, the Egyptian hieroglyphics that they have and, and the things from the ancient Near East, fig trees were one of the earliest recorded trees that we have record of. It's, it's actually the third tree that's mentioned in the book of Genesis. The first tree is the tree of, the no- of knowledge of good and evil. The second tree is the tree of life. And then after Eve and then Adam eat of the fruit... They see their nakedness and they cover themselves by making clothes out of fig leaves. Fig leaves. Wow, I just heard like an idea pop up right there when we said it. That was neat. Fig leaves. They covered themselves with fig leaves. And, and, and many scholars actually believe that the fruit that Eve ate and then gave to Adam was more likely a fig. Not an apple. Don't believe the apple lies that are out there. For some reason, it's in all our drawings and it's in our imagination. She's eating an apple. That's just big apple industry pushing their lobbyists, trying to push the apples on us. Okay? Um, It's more likely that that it would have been a fig at that time. Um, As a matter of fact, why when they immediately eat that fruit and see their nakedness and make clothes out of fig leaves, the fig leaves would have been right there, right? They would have been right near that tree. So it would seem that there's a good chance that the fig tree was actually the first tree that's mentioned in Scripture. We don't know, and it really probably won't make a huge difference to us, but uh, it's an interesting fact. So these fig trees, though, have been tied to Israel's history, and they've actually been tied to the region and their culture for millennia. It's actually used in the Old Testament as a metaphor for Israel, the fig tree. Um, in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, the Lord says, O Israel, when I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the first ripe figs of the season. So, so he's saying, Israel, it's a beautiful thing, it's an exciting thing, it's to see these things. And so, as an agricultural people, these people grew their food, they, they, uh, they, they weren't very seafaring. When we see the disciples fishing on the Sea of Galilee, that's a fairly small body of water, it's a large lake. And so they weren't seafaring, a lot of their uh, food came through growing it, and so they were a, an agricultural people, and so they would have um, an intimate knowledge of the life cycle of fig trees. There wasn't a huge range, you can't go into a produce store back then and see 
all the different types of fruits and vegetables. They had a very small niche of fruits and vegetables they ate. And they followed the, the, the calendar with them on when they'd be ripe because they don't have refrigeration and all these different amazing things where we can bring fruits up from South America when it's out of season. So they know exactly when the fruits and vegetables are fresh, when they can be harvested, when they can be eaten, all these things. And so they have a, a very small grouping of foods that they eat. And in the same way, they, they, uh, they knew intimately the seasons that they would be. So my question is, when we read Mark's rendition of the story, we just read Matthew's. In Mark's rendition of the story, it says Jesus looked for fruit there. He looked for figs. And he said there wasn't any figs because it wasn't the season for figs. So it's not fig season. Jesus looks at the tree and he curses it. Was Jesus just out of touch with the world? Like... Don't you know when figs should be growing? Don't you know when figs should be available? I don't think that that's what what was going on. I don't think Jesus was out of touch or had an unreasonable expectation for this tree. You see, figs are a unique tree. We still have our botanist hats on, right? Everybody check them? Okay, you might need to tighten it down a little bit here. Figs are a unique tree because um, the fruit actually appears on the fig tree before the leaves do. So the fruit blossoms and, and appears before the leaves do in the early spring. And so that, that fruit appears, but it's not edible at that time. You don't want to eat it. It's very, it's very bitter and not very good. But it appears before the leaves do. And as spring progresses, the figs then will ripen. And then the, the leaves will appear in later spring. And then by June, by usually later June, figs are ready to harvest. And they'll actually be harvestable then from late June all the way through the fall. They have a long season. But they're not really available around Easter time or Passover as the Jews would celebrate. Because we're, we, we, we just estimate when Christmas is, right? As Christians, we celebrate Christmas just kind of, it's a nice season in the middle of winter. We've kind of adapted that. With Easter, it is tied to the Jewish holiday, which goes back to exactly when Jesus would have been looking for these figs right now, this time of year in Israel. So Jesus is looking for these figs at an exact time when figs are not going to be ready to eat. He's looking for figs in this tree that has leaves, but there's no fruit. So if a tree has leaves, but it has no fruit, we just said that the fruit forms before the leaves. So if you look in the tree and you see leaves, but there is no fruit, that means for that year, there will be no fruit. It's very clear in both gospels that there's leaves all over these trees, but Jesus looks into the tree and is there fruit? No fruit. It's a barren tree. So this fig tree is in leaf, probably before any of the other trees. It's very early. It's very early in the season. And it has all this appearance and gives all this promise of fruit. But its appearance, get this, was deceptive. It's giving off this look of it has fruit. It has something there. It should be something there. But it's all deceptive. Jesus looks through its branches, but it's this massive pretentious foliage. It's this, it's just this big grouping of leaves, but nothing more. And Jesus looks there and he makes an allegory. He's creating this illustration because as we've seen, as we read just now through the Old Testament, fig trees are an illustration to the Jewish people, God's chosen, chosen people. And Jesus is looking at this tree and he's making a connection to what he just walked through in the temple, what he just experienced going through uh, the, 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 the Palm Sunday and the great reception he had. He's saying the Jewish people have had heaven brought to them. 
The Jewish people have had the Messiah prophesied to them for millennia, for thousands of years. Then John the Baptist has come and he's saying, make way for the Lord. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. He is here now. And then he said, for the last three years, I have walked around. I have made fish and chips multiply for you guys. I have healed the the lame. I have made eyes open. I have done all these incredible things and you still don't see it. There's still no fruit. All it is is show. I've done signs and wonders and you all are looking the part. He looks at the religious leaders, the ones that should have all their spiritual ducks in a row. And he says, you look the part, but there's nothing there of substance. And this barren fig tree was an image of the results of the Jewish Jewish people's rejection of Jesus. See, church, this was a warning to the Jewish people, but it's a warning to the church today. That we cannot just look the part. We must be producing fruit. There is no off season for being fruitful. There's no off season. It's not that, well, you know, I'm just going through a rough patch. So I'm just going to be a real sour person for a while. Or you know what? When I hit a certain X, Y, and Z in my life, then I can start to really produce some things in my life that are of substance. There is no off season in being fruitful. Jesus looked at that tree and he said, you need to be in season. Where's the fruit? I see the leaves. I see all these things that are saying there should be something there, but it's not there. Paul admonishes his young leader, Timothy, in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He says, preach the word and be prepared. What? In season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. There is no off season for being fruitful. So this cursing of the fig tree that Jesus does has a direct correlation to the parable that Jesus taught in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, Jesus tells a parable about a tree that's fruitless. It says this, it says, Then Jesus told this story, A man planted a fig tree in his garden and he came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years of interest. How long was Jesus' ministry on earth? Three years. I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. And the gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next, you're fine. If not, then you can cut it down. So increased care was to be given to this unfruitful tree in Jesus' story. And it was to be given every advantage. Fertilizer and extra sunlight. I'm sure they pruned back things around it so he could get sun. And he watered it. it. He was doing everything he could do. But he said, if it remains fruitless even still, nothing could save it from destruction. Let me tell you, church, especially if you're in this room, all of us have had the opportunity to hear truth. Every last one of us. We've had the opportunity to be fostered by the word. We've had the opportunity to respond to Jesus. Every blessing that heaven can bestow is available to us. Even now, especially in this 21st century, you have a phone on you. You have access to to the word of God at any given moment. We have such access to God as never seen before. But how often do we just seek to, to see the increased blessings of Christ rather than take in all these nutrients and actually invest them and turn them into producing fruitful lives? We just want to take, we want to receive, we want to draw it all in. Oh, that feels so good. Oh, look at all these leaves. But we don't actually produce anything with it.
See, there's no off-season for being fruitful. The facade that we put on can only fool ourselves and maybe the people around us, but not God. Jesus critiqued the spiritual leaders in Matthew 23. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, we might have the outside all pretty, all dialed in. To the casual observer, to the naked eye, you have all your spiritual ducks in a row, but on closer inspection, there's no fruit being produced. And inside, actually, there's brokenness and death. But then Jesus says, really, we look at the story, there's an alternative. There's another side of that coin, right? There's another side of that coin. See, when we do produce fruit, we walk in the blessing. When we produce fruit, we walk in the blessing. Throughout the Bible, fig trees are allegories of prosperity. If you read, here I have several examples. In 1 Kings chapter 4, it talks about Solomon and the time that he was ruling. It says, during Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. In Micah chapter 4, verse 4, Micah's prophesying and he says, Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And then the opposite of that is the lack of fig trees is not the blessing. Joel chapter 1, Joel is warning about the judgment of God and he says, The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. At the end of this verse he says, Surely the people's joy is withered away. So the death of the tree is the removal of blessing. The death of the tree is the removal of joy. But the flourishing and fruitful tree is in the favor of God. It's in the blessing of God. Do you see what was written about here? It's, it's free from fear. It's experiencing all the joy and riches that are in God. When we're fruitful, we walk in God's favor. Who wants to walk in God's favor? I do, Pastor Brent. See, you may say, it, it, though th- this is the Old Testament, isn't this written to the Jewish people? This isn't for us. Au contraire. In the book of Romans chapter 11, Paul says that we have been grafted into the vine. That we have been grafted in. Jew and Gentile, we've been grafted into the vine and we, we receive the same riches of God's promise and salvation that had been promised. So when we produce fruit, God receives glory. His kingdom is made more imminent on this earth when we are producing fruit. When we exist within the purpose for which we were made, we experience peace. We experience joy. We experience endurance through the journey. We experience goodness and gentleness. Does this sound a lot like fruit of the Spirit that I'm listing here? You see, all these things, when we see fruit in our lives, begin to produce these things in our lives, and God blesses those who produce spiritually fruitful lives. And finally is this. When we produce fruit, we will reproduce ourselves. This is interesting. I got to thinking about this because I, was, I, was, I had my botany hat on a lot this week. And uh, I was doing a lot of research about fig trees. I don't know much about them, never grown one. Did you know how fig trees are pollinated? Only one way, and it's not a bee, and it's not a bird, it's not a butterfly, it's a wasp. It's called a fig wasp. And what happens is a female fig wasp will 
fly up to a fig, and there's a very, very small hole at the bottom of a fig. It's such a small hole that the female wasp has to wriggle her way in and break off her wings to get inside the fig. And once she's inside the fig, she soon will die, but not before she lays her eggs and her larva will hatch and they'll be able to feed on the nutrients of that fig and eventually eat and burrow their way out of the fig that they're in. But it's in dying that this female wasp is able to reproduce herself in the fruit. Did you know that plants and trees don't produce fruit for our own benefit necessarily? It's a symbiotic relationship, but the reason they make fruit is to reproduce themselves. There's seeds in the fruit. An animal eats that seed. I won't tell you the whole process, but that seed gets planted somewhere else. Fruit exists to reproduce itself. This is discipleship. If we are living fruitful lives, we should see disciples being made. When this wasp goes into that, into that, uh, that, that uh, fig there and, and it dies... It's such an illustration. I just was just marveling at it. I was thinking about what Jesus tells the disciples in John 12, 24. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and it dies, it remains alone. He's talking about his own death here and his resurrection. He says, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. And he said, he's speaking of himself, but then he transitions to talking about the disciples. He says, those who love their life in this world will lose it, but those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity, laying down our life, taking up our cross and following Jesus. You see, that's a courageous prayer to pray, to say, God, I'm ready to die. So that you may be glorified and others might live. That you would, your name would be glorified. And I want to see this multiplied many times over. Lord, here I am. I'm ready to be poured out. Whatever that means. Whatever the context is. Wherever you may send me. Whatever you may ask of me. Just as Isaiah said. Lord, here am I. Send me. But that's a dangerous prayer to pray. We can think, oh, that sounds really nice and, and, and bold. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. But we are called to bear fruit and make disciples and to go. For some in this room, God may be calling you to a distant land. Soil soil you've never stepped on before. For some that journey may be across an office space to a co-worker, across a classroom. Maybe a phone call. Maybe a conversation with an old friend that you've been putting off. You felt the stirring of God's spirit in you saying, speak, speak life, do it now. And you've been, you've been afraid, but right now it's time to say, God, I am ready to have the fruit of what you've been doing in my life be produced. Not just be a really beautiful leafy tree, but actually be producing something with my life. And it's time to step out and to speak life. See, Jesus tells us in John 15, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and what? Bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You see, we can't produce fruit on our own. Earlier in the same chapter in John 15, Jesus says, we must remain in the vine. I recently had a tree that I had to take down in my backyard. And when I took it down, lots of branches came off. And those branches have been lying in my backyard for a while because it's rainy and gross and I don't want to deal with them. But you know what? They have not grown a single leaf. They haven't done a single thing on their own because they've been separated from any tree and they're just dying there. 
Some of us have been trying to produce good things on our own. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do good stuff. I'm going to just try to fix things. And we actually just become people that are, that are trying to be uh, modifiers of our actions. Just try to self-improve. And, and what we do is we try and we try and we fail. And all we do is fall back to the same, uh, same basic denominator that we were before. But through Jesus, when we are grafted in the vine, we, ha- we are able to produce more than we ever could. We are given life, Jesus tells us, that on, a, on its own, a branch can do nothing on its own. But rather, but when we are grafted in, we can produce fruit and we can be used, useful for what he's called us to be. So this morning, I want us to take a moment. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes before we close? And I want to ask you, as Jesus passes by your life right now, And he looks up into the branches. Does he see fruit? Does he see fruit? Or are we just putting out a great show and we're full of decay inside? This morning I invite you to respond. If that's you in this place, and you say, I don't see the fruit of the Spirit represented in my life. I'm not grafted into the vine, into the vine like I should be. And I, I, I'm actually just trying to just receive all the blessings, but it's not actually being produced into something that's useful for the kingdom. And I want that to be developed in my life. If that's you, I want to pray with you. So right now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand with me, and we're going to pray together. Father, right now, I pray with those that are going to raise their hands right now, those that are raising their hands and those that are being challenged with what's actually going on inside. The shows we put on, the, the, the facades that we present, God, they're nothing. You see right through us. You, you know who we are even better than we know ourselves, God. And sometimes we lie to ourselves to say, it's all perfect. We got it lined up. It's dialed in. But God, we recognize we need you. And so this morning, we graft ourselves into the vine. We cling to the vine because you are the source of life. You are the source of hope. You are the source of peace where we cannot produce these things on our own only through you, Jesus, and that the world would see what you are doing from the inside out. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. I want to offer one more thing, and that's to you this morning. If you have never accepted Christ, you're like a whitewashed tomb and there's, there's death inside of you. You've felt far from God and to be honest, you know that you are on your own, dead without Jesus. And you need him to forgive you of your sins, wash you, white as snow. It doesn't matter if you made this decision 10 years ago, two days ago, wherever you may be, but you say, today I need to make the decision, Jesus, that you are my king and my Lord and I'm going to follow you from this day forward. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. So before we close, I want to give you this opportunity. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. This is a moment between you and God, but the book of Romans says that we are to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then we are to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and then we will have salvation. 
So right now, if you're ready to profess that Jesus is your Lord, I want you to raise your hand and raise it high without shame and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else joining these? Praise God. You can put your hands down. Church, we're going to pray this together. There's nothing magical in these words. It's about a heart decision that says, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and I believe that you are my King. So right now, pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and coming after me. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the grave and that you offer me life. Life to the fullest. Not some fake life. Not some facade. But life that starts from the inside. And it works its way out. And it changes me from the inside. And gives me new hope. And a future. And I receive that this morning. In your name Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Heaven celebrates with those that said I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus this morning. That is an exciting thing. Thank you for giving your heart to Christ. Praise God. Well, today we're going to do our connection cards together. As we close the service and get ready to receive our morning tithes and offerings, we have two ways we do connection cards. First of all, there's the QR code, or you can go to nlcchurch.com connect. We ask everyone to do your connection card. It matters so much to us. Um, we, we missed a lot of connection cards last week. Let us know that you're here. Also, let us know what we can be praying with you about. What's going on in your heart and your life that we can be agreeing with you on? Mark that on your connection card. We want to be praying with you. We want to be celebrating with you. We've heard some great praise reports. By the way, church, we prayed for Sharon Dixon, our wonderful sister, um, last week. Sharon Dixon had a, had a medical event, a stroke. Um, by God's mercy, she was able to call an ambulance and for herself. And they came and got her, and she's already home. Um, she's, she's got partial paralysis on one side of her body still, but we are believing for God's full healing touch. We're believing that God's going to do that. So continue praying for Sharon. Um, but, uh, but let us know what God's doing in your heart. Let us know what, what's happening there. Um, if this is your first time, let us know on that connection, ca- connection card. It's your first time. We want to reach out and say thank you for being with us. We're going to do something on your behalf. We're going to make a donation to an organization called Feed One. It goes into the neediest parts of the world and it brings the hope of Jesus. And secondly, it meets felt needs as well. It gives food, clean water, and an education to a child. So for a week on your behalf... We'll sponsor a child. It's just a way of saying thank you. Also, swing by the Welcome Center. Let them know it's your first time. They'll get you a coffee card for a free coffee at Sparrow Cafe. They have delicious coffee and an awesome team over there, so we want you to get that. Right now, we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Thank you, ushers, for, for serving us. Um, thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Um, what you will hear at our Vision Sunday is miraculous. It's incredible. And you're going to hear about the things that are coming up that are only because of God's faithfulness and your faithfulness to God in giving. It's because of what the church has been doing that we are going to see these things in the, in, in the coming weeks unfold. So thank you for your giving. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are participants in the kingdom. That you don't just say, okay, sit there, watch this. But rather you say, come along with me. We are going to do this hand in hand. You get to be a part of my kingdom here on earth. And Lord, I pray that we would expedite your return. As we live faithfully, as we share the word, as we live together in harmony and unity, stirring one another up, pushing one another on to greater things. Lord, that your kingdom would be more evident and clear in this world as we love our world as you loved it. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's give with joy this morning.
Thank you, Jesus.